Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 3. We're going to continue on uh, the uh, Part 2 of seeing the old way of seeing things. So let's pick up uh, where we left off in our last episode. So in America, we don't encourage vision at all. We have lists of things we want things we expect, things we don't want, and we have plans for how to get or get rid of them, in fact. We have methodologies for creating the sense of home, sense of community. But the harder we try, the less we hear the old laughter. The age that is passing was an era of problems and solutions. The sense of place was one problem to be solved. Institution was outside the equation. If times have changed enough, it will be easy to reintegrate institution into our daily lives. And so recapture the old way of seeing things. We are no longer distracted from our sense of loss by a belief in inevitable progress. Now that we have built the world the 19th century imagined, we notice the pain of what is missing. It may be that the hardest part has been waking up to a world we have made so cold and so dangerous over the years. A great building can give us the same exhilaration we experience in a natural landscape. We expect that of great buildings, but we tend to forget that a townscape of ordinary buildings embodying the same principles can also exhilarate us, exhilarate, and make us feel we belong somewhere. I must say we have a very, very windy night tonight, so we may hear some wind chimes on the outside adding a little ambiance. So let us continue. So uh, in a townscape of disharmonious buildings, such as is in common today across America, we feel no mystery, no promise, emptiness. We are not intrigued. There is nothing to explore. When we walk, walk among our buildings, we give our attention to signs and symbols, comfort and utility. And these signs, my God, sometimes you, you'll, you'll drive for a city block and you'll see 150 signs. Don't park here. Uh, this sign, that sign, it is mind-boggling. But the average street, the daily landscape, becomes more and more bleak or foolish or even menacing as we go. When we visit, though, old towns, we go into an ancient cathedral. When we see a masterpiece by a 19th century architect, we notice something most of our buildings lack. As we look at these places, we know something is absent from the everyday buildings of our time, our present time. The suburban house, the office building, the mall. And we accept this lack. We accept it. We accept it. We may complain about it, but in the end, 
We don't expect our buildings to have that spark we see in the buildings of the past. Theologists tell us that we should accept the ugly and ordinary building. We assume that there must be an unbridgeable gap between our age builds and what was once produced with a light touch as a matter of course. But there were once, and there can be again, though, interesting, even magical, ordinary buildings. There's no reason why they should be necessarily gone from our lives. So not very far back, as recent as maybe two lifetimes ago, virtually all buildings were designed to common physical and (coughs) visual principles, all derived from natural forms and supported by a long tradition of geometry and measure. The tradition was a starting point. Most design today works without such a starting point, and so trends to go nowhere. Play created the beauty of the old traditions. Even the designers of the formal Georgian style played a game of nuance that brought their houses alive in the same way the subtle widening of an eye, the tilt of a brow, animates someone's face. Today, we have lost the old traditions. We replicate old styles only as symbols, part and parcel, to invoke the lost magic. But no matter how authentic the details are today or how good the proportions may be, all the life of a design must come straight out of the designer. The rules are in us. The designer's intuition resonates with what we all know. The intuitive way of seeing was not consciously taught or even followed. It was not a secret. Although mystical meanings ascribed to some of the ancient ratios were told and held as secrets, it was not tradition of style or structure that made it possible for a building to come alive. The old way of seeing came naturally to any builder who assumed that a building was a pattern, but today they don't assume it's a pattern. When, 160 years ago, the old way of seeing began to go out of architecture, there was no way to explain the problem. That something was missing seems to have been clear enough to many observers even at that time. It seemed design talent had drained out of the culture totally. How could this be, though? Why were we now unwelcome among our own buildings? Solutions proliferated. What architecture needed was to be rich or simple or correct or even functionable. The Doric style was forthright and democratic, but the innocent Gothic was more pious and mysterious. But the Roman was even stronger and bolder. Several styles often showed up on a single facade. The 20th century created a new manner of designing, meant to rise above, again, region, time, or even style, the international style. The attempts to bring design back to life 
were by no means all failures. In the late 19th century, the arts and crafts movement, for example, regained and reeled in that old feeling to an extent. Machines had denatured design. Handcrafting could revitalize it, though. Talented artists created truly beautiful objects and buildings. Sixty years later, other talented artists of the modern movement embraced the machine and produced other beautiful designs. What remained consistent was the beauty had become the province of specialists. For 160 years, designers have scrambled for new styles, methods, systems that would put life back into buildings. Great ones have achieved it, but they are gifted. Lesser designers are expected to make dull buildings. And I think even if we go back to the the wonderful cars of the the 1930s, the Delahays and, and the like, just beautiful, even Art Deco masterpieces of the automobile. And and we see these cars today, these things called SUVs and, and uh, you know, the lines of cars, whether it could be a Mercedes and they put their emblem on the front, it gets bigger and bigger and they have numbers on the cars and like everyone's supposed to know what the numbers and the numbers and the lettering means. Um, but it has nothing to do with design. It's trying to make their own clandestine type statement. But let's get back. Building composition is thought to be a rare and special art. And those who have old vision often live up to the expectation that their work is deliberately eccentric and elite. But the obligation to be always new as if strangeness were the same as freshness, is a burden today. The point of view that leaves out composition is the same way of seeing that puts the designer outside the practical world, on a pedestal or in a garret. Within this frame of reference, preoccupation with form looks artificial. Form, if it is perceived at all, is merely icing on the cake. The designer is keen to be either a great artist and therefore beyond understanding or elite. Either way, the designer is outside the concerns of the real world. Many of the most talented designers have no influence beyond a small couture of followers. If there are arts that can flourish on the edges of society, architecture is not one of them lurching from one style to another, under pressure to be creative, which means different, but at the same time practical, economical, contextual. Even the best architects have a hard time producing places one would really like to be in. The broadest purpose of a building designed in the intuitive way was simply to be. Today, Every aspect of a building is for or about something else. It is a product of intellect. Intellect, not intuition, dominates design at every level. From the routine commercialism of the track house to the thousand-page building code of the hermetic eradication of the academic journal. 
intellectual has its place, but we do not know when to stop overanalyzing. Although I've learned many things in architecture, I've never forgotten people like Frank Lloyd Wright or, or Miles Van Rowe. They did not go to architectural school. Architectural education needs more of what they knew and what they experienced and what they thought and, and what they brought about by contemplation. Not having traditional education in their field jammed down their throats. But I must admit, I do enjoy the analytical process of uncovering the hidden patterns in buildings, the regulating lines that connect key points. To me, they are the secrets of what a building is. It is a pleasure to make visible and follow the diagonals until they make a triangle that aligns beautifully several different parts of a building, or to reveal a great circle that happens to touch on three or four key elements. And all of these connections, invisible, almost invisible. The eye can almost put them in. The underlying pattern are just beyond consciousness, like the intuition that created the design in the first place. To search out the patterns is like seeing a photographic print come up in a dark room. It is always a little new, a little exciting, to see the invisible suddenly rise to the surface, to see the confirmation of one's own intuitive pleasure in the design before him. And yes, this is why it works. So, at the core of this episode is what I call its premise. It is a theory, a central guess. There is evidence for a good deal of what I propose. But at certain points, the evidence peters out. And I'm left with descriptions of experiences that may or not be agreed upon. The feeling of place, the magic or aliveness of a building, institution, intuition. Some of what I say will never be probable, but also the study of the intuitive visual mind is new and incomplete. Much more may yet to be defined than we know now. And I believe we already know enough to bring architecture back to life. It's the premise. An intuitive sense of form is available to all designers. This is the premise we're going to go by to bring back architecture from what it was just after the, probably the first quarter of the 19th century. The innate design sense becomes usable when the designer perceives the building to be a pattern of light and shade. When the building is designed as a composition of related forms, it is informed by a system of proportions. The designer's knowledge of this system may be conscious or unconscious. The essential step is the decision to see the building as a visual pattern. A simple but functional shift in the paradigm for building can give direct access to these universal principles of form. 
So this episode is about vision, and it is an episode about magic. Magic in everyday life. Magic in the things that we make and in the places that we make. This is not a recipe book or a step-by-step guide. I cannot promise that everyone who listens will have the old way of seeing. It is a description of a way of seeing and its implications. What happens when you look at buildings as light and shade, walls and space? What happens when you don't? And that finishes up uh, part two. And uh, don't forget to find us on the Historic Preservationist on Instagram and our YouTube channel. And please uh, take a listen, take a look, and uh, subscribe. Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist, signing off. Thanks for listening.